In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Well, it's good to be back in the church again. I'm sure there's going to be some adjustments until we get all this technology working uh, exactly as we want. But uh, I'm glad that we could be both online and in person um, starting from today, God willing. Um, so we have been studying in the book of Genesis, and uh, today we're going to study chapters 31 and 32. Last time we studied 29 and 30. Um, does anyone remember what it is that we talked about last week? So in chapter 29, we spoke about uh, when Jacob meets Rachel. So just kind of the background there is Jacob, okay, he had stolen the birthright uh, or he had deceived his brother Esau from receiving the birthright. Uh, and he took the blessing of his father Isaac before Isaac died. And so Esau became very angry, very upset with, uh, with Esau. And so Esau was trying to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees, and he goes to... So they, they were in the, in the land of Canaan, which is the land that God had prepared for, for them. And he made the covenant with Abraham and Isaac um, to dwell in that land and to receive that land as being their land for many generations. Um, so Jacob was also living in that land. And all of this conflict with Esau uh, happened there. So after Esau is now upset with Jacob, he wants to kill Jacob. He's waiting till after the period of mourning, um, after his father Isaac has died, so that he can go and kill him. So Jacob flees, and he goes back to the place where his family originally dwelt from before, which is in the region called Haran. Okay? So he goes to Haran, and he meets Rachel, okay, who is his relative, and he ends up marrying her. Okay? Um, and he also marries her sister. So he wanted to marry Rachel. Her father said, no, you're going to have to work for seven years. Uh, for her, after seven years, he gives her actually, he gives him Leah, her sister, instead of Rachel. And then he says, well, if you want Rachel, then you're going to have to work for another seven years. So he works for quite a long time. He's married to Leah and Rachel. Um, this is Genesis chapter 29. Um, in chapter 30, there was this competition. So during this period of seven years from the time when he's married Rachel, so he's now married both Leah and Rachel. After the first seven years, he marries Leah and then Rachel as well. So the next seven years that he's al already committed to be working for uh, Laban, okay, who is um, Leah and Rachel's father, there is this competition now between Leah and Rachel as who can have the most kids, okay? Um, and so it's the chapter 30 speaks about this competition, speaks about how each one kind of was wanted the attention of Jacob, wanted to show that uh, Jacob that they could have more children so that he would um, love them and so on. Uh, and then during this time also Jacob is working and he's amassing wealth um, uh, while he is and possessions while it is he is working for Laban. So those are the last two chapters that we studied um, last week. Um, so here in uh, chapter 31, it speaks about the period of time where Jacob is now going to leave uh, Haran, and he's going to go back to Canaan, right? Because Canaan is the place where Jacob is supposed to be. Canaan is the place, is the land that God had gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as an inheritance. This was part of the covenant, okay? And so now they are going to, he's going to come back. So it says here in verse 1, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, 
saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth, right? So he has taken all of this wealth, right? And now he is going to depart. In chapter 30, the previous chapter, um, it kind of speaks about this plan that Jacob had made, essentially to increase his livestock. And he, he kind of did this plan, and God blessed this plan that he had. He ended up increasing his livestock many fold, more than Laban. Um, and so he had taken all that was Laban's, essentially. Like he had made this deal with Laban that all of the, the sheep that were striped or speckled, he would end up for himself. And then God made it such that all the sheep ended up becoming striped and speckled so that he was able to, to take it for himself. And so essentially he, um, you know, he took so much of Laban's livestock for himself and now he's going to leave. So, um, uh, so, so they're, they're grumbling against him. Laban's sons, they're grumbling, right? They're saying against Jacob, Jacob has taken away everything that is our father's. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before because... You know, he's upset with him because he's taking all of all of his sheep. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So we see God now, you know, God is speaking to Jacob. Jo God actually begins to speak to Jacob when? Do you remember when, when God begins to speak to Jacob? When was the, the beginning when God began to speak with Jacob? After he ran away from Esau. Yeah, so after now he had received the blessing, right, from Isaac, he is now the inheritor of the covenant, right? Because God, who is it that God is going to make the covenant with to fulfill the covenant? It was the eldest, supposed to be the eldest son, right? The eldest son is the one who was supposed to take the place of the father after the father dies. So, so that was supposed to be Esau, right? But Esau gave up his birthright. And Jacob deceived Isaac so that Isaac would give Jacob the blessing. So this ends up becoming Jacob instead of Esau. Okay, so we begin to see that Jacob is uh, God is now speaking with Jacob, and he is the, speaking to him about what he should do. Right, prior to this time, there was not uh, there, there was not like direct communication between God and Jacob. Um, so so here God is like intervening and he is he's guiding Jacob is telling Jacob what is it that he should be doing so that he he knows so Jacob wants to leave God is telling him now it's time to return you have family you have possessions I will be with you right return okay so this period of Jacob's life where he had went to Haran is now coming to a close to return again to Canaan which is the promised land the place where God had um, promised them to receive so at this point, do you know how many years had passed since Jacob had arrived in Haran? How long had he been there? It was more than 14. Oh, very close. It's 20 years. Very close. So he was there for 20 years. Okay. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So it was very clear that Laban was actually exploiting Jacob all along. So what was the first exploitation that Laban did or the first deception that Laban did against Jacob? 
Leah, right? So, so after working for seven years, Laban promised Jacob, you work for me for seven years, years, I'll give you Rachel as a wife. But instead, he gave him Leah as a wife, okay? So that was the first, that was the first deception. And here he's saying that his father is, or sorry, Laban is essentially keeps changing his wages. He's not consistent. He's not wanting to pay him what he deserves and so on. And so he feels like he has been exploited by Laban. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. So remember the, the kind of the plan that Jacob had from the previous chapter in order to incre increase his possessions of sheep was essentially telling Laban, every sheep that is speckled or spotted or somehow abnormal, like not the normal kind of livestock, the, the normal white sheep that you would expect, those will be my wages. And so Laban agreed because in Laban's mind, this is a small, small amount, right? And, and in, in, um, in return, Jacob agreed to remain living with him and, and taking care of his sheep. But God intervened, right? And along with Jacob's plan, and so it says, "What this? If if he said the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled." Like God was blessing Jacob, and if he said the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me, right? So even though you know, like when we read in chapter thirty about this plan that Jacob has, and it sounds kind of strange. Actually, it talks about how like. He put certain kind of plants in the watering troughs of the sheep. And so that, that would, when they would mate, they would like become speckled or spotted. Or, and it's not really clear at all like how that would result in the sheep being speckled or spotted. But God was the one who was working to do it, right? If, if, if he said one thing, that's what God would kind of make it come to pass. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now, and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. What does God mean here when he says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar? What is that? Reaffirming that he is the same God that he saw in the dream. Which dream was that? Like or uh, the ladder or angels were coming, uh, descending and ascending. Yes. So um, previously, as when Jacob was traveling to Haran, he found this place where he slept, and he had this rock, right? And essentially, he used the rock to sleep on it. Okay. And it was at this time where God revealed this dream of the the ladder, uh, the ladder that was going up to heaven, and angels were. We're going up and coming down this ladder. So God is telling him, and, and Jacob named this place Bethel, right? Bethel means the house of God, okay? So he, he named this place because he had this dream there, and, and, and he anointed the pillar, the, the, the rock that he slept on. He actually anointed it with oil, and this rock represents the incarnation of Christ. Okay, the church fathers speak about how this is the incarnation of Christ. We spoke about this before in that chapter. So God is reminding him of this. And he says, this is where you made this, this vow to me. Arise, go out of this land, and now return 
to the place where you came. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. Okay, so the, the wives of Jacob are supporting that he wants to leave. Right? They're, they're saying there's nothing left for us here. He treats us like strangers. There's nothing for us to remain here for. For all the riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Okay? So they considered that God had like recompensed them for what their father had taken from them through deceit. So all the things that God should have given to them and to Jacob that he didn't because of his deceit, it's like God like recompense them through this idea of having all of the sheep be speckled and spotted and so on so that Jacob would increase in his wealth right it tells us something about like when we are wronged you know sometimes like when we are wronged in some way we feel like it is our responsibility it is our right we are entitled to kind of go after and get what is ours what is rightfully ours and to fight for it um, and sometimes this is necessary and that this is what we have to do. But a lot of times, like, here, and we see in this example, like, let God take care of it, you know? Yes? Yes, he, d he did try, but God blessed this attempt, right? Why what? Why did God bless it? sin i mean it's it's kind of like he's stealing back you know so god you know like especially in the old testament you know it's not that necessarily people make every choice correct mm -hmm. but god still blessed i mean jacob did a lot of mistakes right yeah. and yet god blessed a lot of the things that jacob did we shouldn't interpret that as being approval for what was done it's more like um, god is using this approach in order to bring about his will he uses even our own weaknesses to bring about his will. So, like, for instance, if God intended that Jacob would end up becoming the one who would to receive the blessing, that could have happened even without Jacob having to deceive anyone, right? But God uses his mistakes, his flaws, his errors, right, in order to bring about ultimately what he wants to do. And that's kind of comforting for us, too, because we make mistakes all the time. You know, like, we make mistakes, we sin. If God were to come and to say, well, because you commit sins then I will not fulfill my will for your life. You know, like that would be very difficult for us to accept and we wouldn't be able, like we wouldn't receive the blessing of God that way. So even though Jacob might have had like a wrong motive or wrong purpose, but God blessed it so that he would produce his purpose in the end. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um. We also see here um, an example of like the like his wives are supporting him, which is something like, you know, he's talking to his wives and telling them this is what I want to do. And they're like supporting him like they're giving him uh, they're giving him encouragement. Yes, this makes sense. You know, let's let's do this. It kind of is an example, at least in this point. I mean, there's other times where it's not. But at least in this point, you see like a kind of like a family unity. Um, so it says, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. 
and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions we had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Okay, so they are packing up all their stuff to go. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. What does that mean? What does it mean that Rachel stole the household idols? What are these household idols and why did she steal them? That the house of Laban... Okay, his possessions, but it says idols. That the house of Laban weren't completely worshippers of God? They were not worshippers of God. Who was a worshipper of God? At the time, the, the, uh, Abraham and his line, right? Abraham and his descendants, they were the ones that God made the covenant with them, right? So, so Jacob grew up believing in God and worshipping God, but his extended family did not, okay? So he had these idols, so why did she steal them? Because she grew up not under Abraham's family, right? She grew up also as a pagan, as an idol worshiper. Yeah. Like wasn't aware of God until Jacob came along? Uh I mean, I wouldn't say he wasn't aware because, I mean, th the belief in God is something that started from the very beginning. But there wasn't like a lot of uniformity. Different different peoples had different beliefs and things would change a lot. There was a lot of different variations. Um, so, so certainly he didn't have the same understanding of God as Abraham and his family. Because God came to Abraham while he was living in Babylon and he told him, leave your land and go to a land that I will show you and I'm going to make a covenant with you and all of this. So God revealed himself very much to Abraham so that Abraham would know God, right? But the others that didn't have that understanding, they might have heard stories about God, this God, but they also believed in other gods. I mean, Jacob did not deny the existence of Jacob's God, and actually he, he felt like Jacob's uh, presence with him was a blessing, which is why he didn't want Jacob to leave, right? But he didn't worship God the same way that Jacob did, okay? The question, though, is why, so why would Rachel then steal these household idols? I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't really know God. She only knows God through Jacob, and that's not really much. So, I mean, she still has her ties back to her, to her family. Yes, right? Um, St. John Chrysostom, he speaks about this. He says, this was not included, sorry, this was included, not by chance, but for us to know how they still clung to their ancestral habits and showed great devotion to the household gods. I mean, consider how Rachel went to so much trouble as to steal nothing else of her father's than the household gods alone and did it without her husband noticing. Jacob would not have allowed it to happen, you see. Okay? So how does this, like... How, how, how can we think about this? Like, how, what, what kind of does this teach us? When you have someone who 
you know, has lived all of their life a certain way, with a certain belief system, with a certain habit, with a certain lifestyle, okay? <clears throat> and then maybe this person, um, like, joins, this, joins the church. We should not expect that suddenly, in a, in a moment, that this person's life is going to be completely conformed to the life of the church or the life of God. Like, it's a, it's a process. And even, like, when you look at... Um, like different people in the Old Testament, like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, when he started out, he didn't believe in the God of Daniel at all. But then after some time and seeing the miracles that was happening with Daniel, he began to believe in the God of Daniel, and he even wrote decrees saying that everyone should worship the God of Daniel and everyone should believe in the God of Daniel. But that didn't mean that now he had like fully converted to understand that there is only one God. He believed that God, yes, he exists and he's powerful and he's blessing Daniel and protecting him. But he just like added him to his like pantheon of other gods that he knew about, right? So here you see like Rachel, even though at this point, I mean, she had lived in with, with Jacob. I mean, for 20 years, the first seven years, she wasn't his wife, but she's known him for 20 years. Um, she's still like clinging to these old habits these whole old ways and it's something that you know especially when someone joins the church they need to understand like what is it that we are called for like we are we are called to to change like we are called to be transformed to change our ways not that we are going to hold on and continue to do the old things that we are practicing but that we do something new christ spoke about this when he spoke about the wineskins right you know the the parable of the wineskins where he said nobody takes new wine and pours it into old wineskins, or else the, the, the wineskins will burst, right? And all the wine will be spilled. Which means you don't take, like, the new covenant, you don't take, like, the new faith of Christ, and you put it into the old mindset, the old understanding, and expect that it's going to, it's going to hold it. It's not, you're not going to be able to do it. But you take the new wineskins, like the new mind, the renewed mind, the transformed mind, the sanctified mind, and then you put the new wine and then the wineskins will not burst, okay? So here, Rachel was still operating with the old mind. She, 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 wasn't, she, she didn't understand. She didn't understand the fullness of the covenant. What is it that God really had promised? Who is this God? Like, Jacob is talking about, we're going to go back to Canaan. God is, is saying, uh, well, whenever, you know, Laban promised that, the, or whenever Laban said my wages will be the speckled ones, they ended up being speckled. Whenever Laban said the wages will be the spotted ones, they ended up being spotted, and so on. Okay, But Rachel didn't really understand the significance of the intervention of God, God working in their lives up until this point. Okay, So she was still following after this old pagan religion. Yes. worth worshiping and important right mm -hmm. and so i guess the use of the word stolen like did laban also know that she took them or did she also like hide it from her father because out of fear that he would tell jacob as well no he didn't know she she really did steal them so but if if he thought like if it was in the house and he thought it was important wouldn't he probably be like okay with her taking it to continue the family traditions then or well i mean in the next few verses he's actually going to find out that they're missing and then he's going to go and, and he's going to believe that jacob is the one who stole them and he's going to become upset and he's going to go and search 
and actually see if they if they were the ones who took them or not so no he's definitely not like for him like that's his gods you know like he he doesn't want anyone to take from him what is his gods and um, I don't know, like these types of idols, like if these are idols that could be constructed out of wood or something like that to where he could say you get your own idols, you know, like it's not like these are the only idols that you can get. Like if he really wanted Rachel to continue practicing this religion, there could have been other ways for her to do it. Yeah. We see also in this action, like the rebellion that Rachel has for her father, like like she really has kind of like anger toward him and she has no respect for him. She sees that all the things that he did to um, her husband, Jacob, um, kind of made her lose respect for him. That's why she's able to do this, and she's deceiving him. <clears throat> and Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to leave. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Okay? As we mentioned in the previous weeks, um, the church fathers, they see in Jacob as a type of Christ. And they see in his daughters, Leah and Rachel, as a type of the people. Where Leah, who is the first wife, the first one to be in the relationship with Jacob, who is Christ, represents the Jews. And Rachel, who is the second wife, the next one to have this relationship with Christ, she represents the Christians or the church. Okay? So the church sees in all of these actions of Jacob and Leah and Rachel as having like a deeper spiritual meaning. Okay, so what is the meaning? So he said Jacob represents Christ. Okay. Jacob came from the promised land, Canaan. He came to Haran. Okay, so what do you think that would represent in the spiritual meaning? Remember, Jacob represents Christ. The Canaan represents the promised land from heaven to earth. So what is that? Jacob going to Haran represents what? Incarnation. Good. So Jacob is like the incarnated Christ appearing to the people. Okay, Because Leah and Rachel are the people. The Jews and the Gentiles. So Jacob then did what? He took his two wives, okay, Leah and Rachel, away from who? From from, from Laban, right? And Laban represents Satan. Very good. Right? So it's like he is, he is freeing them from the hands of the devil. Okay? Um, then when it says what? Rachel. Remember, Rachel represents who? Yeah, the, the, or the Gentiles, right? Because, yeah, the Gentiles. She did what? She stole the idols of her father. Okay, what does that represent? Not sinning. Think about it from the parallel of what happened in the church. No, not forming heresy. So the, what happened in the church? You had Gentiles. Gentiles were what? Before Christianity. Non-Jews. Non-Jews, but what were they practicing? They were pagans. They were pagans, right? So they were worshiping idols. So Rachel stealing the idols represents... Like the destruction of the pagans, the destruction of the idol worship, the destruction of the pagan temples, right? Destroying that because so many of the Gentiles that became Christian, like they would even turn the temples into churches. They would stop the idol worshiping, right? So that's what Rachel is like, the, the, the symbolic meaning behind what Rachel did, okay? So then 
he took them back to the land of who it says here um, did it say in the previous verse Yeah, so it says to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. So who, who does Isaac represent here? God the Father, right? So it's like we're returning to the promised land. We're returning to heaven. Christ came. He was incarnate, okay? He took us out of the hands of the devil back to our home in heaven, okay? This is, the, this is what this represents here. Um. To get to there, to get back, what do they have to do? It says what here in verse 21? They cross the river. So what is crossing the river? It represents baptism. Right? So they are like baptized in the crossing of the river in order to enter heaven. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Okay, so now that Laban finds out that Jacob has left, after the third day of him leaving, now he is chasing after them, okay? Um, so again, the spiritual analogy continues, right? So Laban did not realize that they had left. Also, um, the devil did not realize what it was the work of salvation of Christ on the cross. Like while the Christ was on the cross, the devil did not understand the magnitude of what he was seeing or what was the importance of it, which is why after the Christ entered into Hades, at, at the beginning, like the devil didn't understand that he is entering to free those who are in captivity, not that he was just coming as another soul to be imprisoned in Hades, okay? Um, and that this resurrection from the dead happened on the third day, just like as it said that it was at the third day that Laban realized that they were gone, okay? Um, once he discovered that they were gone, it says what? Laban pursued them, right? This represents what? What does it mean that Laban is now pursuing those who are going to the promised land? Temptation, right? So the devil continues to pursue us just like Laban is pursuing Jacob. Okay, to try to get uh, to bring us back to to like bring us back into captivity. Okay. Also, it says that Laban took with him other people. It's like his brethren took with him other people. This represents like the devil who has an army, right? The devil has other demons. The devil uses everything at his disposal in order to come and to bring us back and to kind of bring us into captivity again. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him. Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So why, why, why did God say this and what does it mean to speak neither good nor bad? Well, is that the devil has limits? That God is limiting the devil in his well, uh, sorry, I'm not speaking about the analogy anymore. Now I'm just speaking about why is why is he saying that? Because God knows that's like what uh, what Laban is looking for is true. Like that, the stolen idols is technically with Jacob. It's just Jacob doesn't know about it still. So, 
I mean, what is Laban's purpose? To he wants to do what? Actually, to keep Jacob. He wants to keep Jacob, right? He wants Jacob to come back because Jacob was a big blessing for him. He wants him to be back, and he wants him to bring back all his sheep because Jacob took all the sheep of Laban. So, so when God is saying to him, what does it mean if he were to speak to Jacob good? What does it mean for him to speak good to Jacob? Yeah, don't don't offer him like don't promise him gifts. Don't don't entice him with something good. Don't bother him. Right to bring him back. Okay, so that's speaking good, but don't go try to persuade him with good. And then he says also don't speak bad, which is what. Don't threaten him. Don't intimidate him. Don't like, you know, don't don't treat him and don't don't try to make him afraid that if you don't come back, then here's what I'm going to do to you and so on. So God is protecting Jacob, right? And he's speaking to Laban. He's telling him don't don't mess with Jacob. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? So he's saying, Why have you done this? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp, which most likely that was not what was going to happen. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you surely have gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my God? So now Jacob or Laban, he recognizes that someone has taken his gods. And he thinks that Jacob is the one who did so. So he's talking to him about it. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, right? Because I was afraid, like I didn't tell you. Um, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. Maybe you wouldn't let Leah and Rachel come with me. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. So Jacob has no idea that Rachel has taken the gods. Right? So, so Jacob is very confident. He's saying, Well, okay, I didn't take anything. And if you find that anyone in my camp and my people has taken them, feel free to kill them. Like that's how confident he is. Okay, do not let him live. Meaning I did not take it. No, none of us take, took it. I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody took it. In the presence of your brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had, had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. So what did she say? It's the time of the month. Yes. <laughs> so so she, she's saying she can't get up for him. So, so as an excuse, okay, and so she sat there and he couldn't find the idols. Okay. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. Okay, so, so in Jacob's mind, you're coming to falsely accuse me and my family of wrongdoing. 
Okay, and you've come and done this. So Jacob was now angry at Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your family goats have not miscarried their young and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So what is he saying about the way Laban was treating Jacob? You know, he was treating him badly. So he's saying what? Like, let's say one of the sheep that was under the care of Jacob, let's say it was killed by an animal, okay? It was eaten by some animal. Laban would still require Jacob to replace it with another one, right? Because he was saying, okay, well, you were taking care of it, so you have to replace it. You required it from my hand. If something was stolen by day or by night, you would require me to bring it back or to replace it, right? So Laban was very harsh with Jacob for those 20 years. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Okay? So, so what is he saying? Like, what is, it, what is that verse 42 when he says, Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Because, because, specific, because specifically why, though? Is it, it's not just because of God, but because of Laban's what? Laban's fear of God, right? Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, like you fear Isaac, you fear the God of Isaac, you fear, you know, surely now I would, you would have sent me away empty-handed, okay? So, so like, like God is blessing Jacob, and, and Laban is feeling like he can't just take everything from him because he's afraid of what might happen to him. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? What, what is this reflecting, this attitude, these things that Laban is saying? What does that reflect about how he thinks? Yeah, he thinks that everything belongs to him, right? If something, if something is like uh, was what was once his at any point, then it will remain his forever. Okay, how do you think? Maybe some examples of where we see this kind of in our own lives.
still think of themselves as like that high caliber like person you know i don't know if that's a good example so yeah we we like associate ourselves with the positions that we have we feel like um you know we can't let go of things it could be position okay good what what else any talents and gifts we feel like is our own right we don't we don't we don't we, we feel like we own everything we feel like we own the things around us we feel we own the place where we live we own ourselves right what also came into my mind is parents right this is a very difficult thing for parents to do and a lot of times like the youth would like be frustrated young adults as they're getting older feeling frustrated because they're having to deal with this issue with their parents which is what Parents from when the kids are very young age, they essentially own the kids. I mean, if you want to say it that way, because absolutely 100% of everything that happens with those kids is really based on the parents' desire, right? The parents decide what they wear. The parents decide where they go. The, the parents decide when they sleep. The parents decide what they eat. The parents decide everything about them. And yet at some point as they grow, right? And even, even the child doesn't even have their own possessions. Everything that I give my child is really mine. But at some point as they grow and they start becoming adults, now there's like a transition that begins to happen. Like the kids now start to own their own things and they start to make decisions for themselves and they start to go places that they think they should go. So a lot of times it's difficult for parents to make that transition and to continue to feel like everything you have is mine. The reason you are where you are is because of me. But that's not, that's not how God is calling us to raise our kids. God is calling us to raise our kids, to train them to live independently, to live without us. That's actually what parents are doing. Parents are teaching the children that God has given them to live independently on their own without them. Because that's what, that's what growing is. Like for a period of time at the beginning of your life, you cannot live independently. You cannot live on your own and you need help. And that's what the parents are doing. They're nurturing, they're loving, they're giving. And then at some point... The child doesn't need that anymore. And it's called, the parents are called to begin to let go of things. And it can be difficult. It can be difficult to let go. Just like Laban here, he has this attitude. It's like, all the sheep you have are mine. Well, didn't you pay me these sheep as wages? Right? So how is it that they're yours? These daughters, I married them. You actually gave them to me in marriage. And actually, I had to work for them. Right? He worked 14 years so that he could have both Leah and Rachel. Right? So how is it that you say that they are yours? You know? So in, in, and obviously they also have a, their own, in, their own, they are adults, right? Like they, they can decide, you know, what they want to do. Of course, at the time, like girls were not given so much freedom to do, choose those things. So the idea here that Laban, he has this um, controlling personality, very controlling. He's controlling uh, Jacob from the very beginning. He's controlling him. He's not, he's telling him what he wants to hear. And then he changes it at the end. He tells them, work seven years and I'll give you Rachel. But they actually he gives them Leah instead. Work another seven years if you want Rachel. Okay? And then I'm going to keep changing your wages. I'm going to keep doing this. So he has this very controlling attitude. He's not willing to let go of anything. He's not wanting to bless anyone. He doesn't want anyone to be blessed of what is own. He is very stingy. He is not generous at all. And this is reflected here in, you know, in his attitude. 
Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Laban is now saying, we have to make peace, right? So we're gonna, we need some kind of agreement, okay? We're going to make a covenant. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Okay? So Laban wanted this truth, truce, and as a symbol of the reconciliation and peace that was to be between Jacob and Laban. And of course, this is because of God appearing to him. Like God told him, just leave him alone, right? If God hadn't come to him and told him this, then very likely this wouldn't be happening. Laban said, okay, we're going to set up like a memorial of these stones, this stack of stones, this pillar. And this pillar will be like a monument to remind us of the covenant that we're making, okay? Laban, he called it Jegar Zahadutha, okay? This is a Syrian name. And in and, and Hebrew, it was called Galid, okay? And the, these two, they both mean the same, which is heap of testimony. Heap of testimony. So this pillar is like a testimony to, to witness to the peace agreement, to the reconciliation between uh, Laban and Jacob, okay? Later on, this becomes a very famous place that we read about a lot in like 1 Samuel and other books in the Old Testament, Mizpah. Mizpah means watchtower, Okay? Like, God is watching. God is the one who is watching, and he is witnessing, like, that this um, agreement, this covenant is maintained, okay? And they ate there together, right? Because eating is like a symbol of peace. Like, you know, you don't ever eat with your enemies. You, you don't ever sit around a table with your enemies and you eat with them. Eating is like a symbol of peace and union. If you afflict my daughter, so now Laban is telling him some of his requirements okay if you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters although no man is with us see god is witness between you and me so one of the requirements that laban is putting is that you have to treat my daughters well and you are not allowed to marry any other women okay then laban said to jacob here is this heap and here is this pillar which i have placed between you and me this heap is a witness and th this, pillar, uh, this heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So it's also like a border, right? You stay on your side, and I will stay on my side. The God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us, and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. Who is Nahor? Abraham's father. Yes. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Okay, so they, they depart. Also Nahor is... Uh their common ancestor, actually. Yes, there's more than one Nahor. Yes. Uh, 
I noticed more than once that the fear of his father Isaac is capitalized um, here and a few verses earlier. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, the capitalization is based on the the translation, the the New Testament, um, the New King James translation of this. So those who are translating it decided to capitalize this word. I can try to look and see why that is. I'm pretty sure that like, if you look at other translations, like try looking at the NIV translation, for instance, or the Revised Standard Version, see if it's capitalized there as well. Um, I don't know why it would be capitalized. I mean, unless it's, unless it's interpreted that this is referring to the person of God. Like the fear of his father Isaac is God. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't read anything about that. There's no capitalization in Hebrew after all. Yeah, there's not. Any questions about chapter 31? Okay. Well, this is NKJV. Is it RSV also? Okay, then maybe that's, at least that's what they've interpreted it to mean. So maybe it's, it's referring to God, that that is like a personification of God. Okay, in chapter 32, chapter 32, shorter, um, it's speaking now that Laban, or Jacob, is now getting ready to enter back into the promised land, or to Canaan. Why is it that he left Canaan to begin with? To flee Esau. To flee, right? So his number one thing on his mind is now when I'm coming back, what is going to happen when I meet Esau, right? Because this is frightening for him. Because he, he, he originally left because Esau was, you know, was very upset with him because he took his blessing. So he's now thinking about what's going to happen when I meet Esau again. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. You, think what, you know what Mahanaim means? You guess? Hmm? What? Sorry? Go to sleep? Ah. <laughs> Almost. Now, Mahanaim means two camps, okay? Why do you think he would name it two camps? Because he goes there, he sees the angels of God. And when he saw, sees them, he says, this is God's camp. So, why would he call it Mahanaim? Because it's God's camp with his own camp? Yeah, so there's two camps, God's camp and his camp. Right? These two camps. There's the there's the seen, visible, physical camp of Jacob, right, and his family, and there's like this invisible spiritual camp of God. There's two camps. And it represents the church. Because like right now we are in the church. This is a physical place, right? The physical building of the church. Okay. But it's also a spiritual place. You know, we say that the church is the first floor of heaven, right? Everything that we do in the liturgy, for instance, it's an image of heaven, and a, and a, you know, we kind of emulate heaven, imitate what is happening in heaven. So, 
in, in, in everything that we do, there's a physical action and there's a spiritual action. You know, we are both body and spirit. And so here, this represents, like, Jacob represents the struggling church that's on earth that is, you know, struggling and fighting and, 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 and seeking, like, salvation. And then there's this invisible victorious church. So even when we are in the, the liturgy, we say that there are angels that are participating with us in the service. And for instance, there's an angel, we say the angel of the sacrifice, that is on the altar during the liturgy, that each of us has our own guardian angel. So there is a physical camp, there's the physical things that we see, our physical body, and there's the spiritual thing. And this is very important because sometimes we forget about this invisible, right? Both of these camps are united together. The separation between heaven and earth is, is in our mind. Like we think of heaven as being like this far, far away place, you know? that we don't know how to get to it. But the spiritual is real and here. It's here. It's not far away. It's here. It's even inside of us. The one who really like begins to perceive God is the one who realizes that there is no separation. Right? That everywhere we go, God is with us. God is not in a location. God is not only here in the church, but he is with us wherever we go. He's with us in the car. He's with us, you know, at any situation and every time. Which is why when we pray to God, God hears the prayer in any place, in any time, right? So here, he called it two camps because it's like he and God together in their two camps. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, and the land of Seir, the country of Edom, okay? So remember, God is the one who told Jacob to come. So in Jacob's mind, this is the right time for me to come because it was spoken by God to come. God is going to take care of this. And he commanded them saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob is doing what? I'm your humble servant. I'm not, you know, I'm not one with the blessing. Nope, but I'm a humble servant. And I've, I stayed with Laban until now. And then I have all these things that I could give you to kind of appease you. Exactly. Right. So you see his demeanor is a very humble demeanor. He's calling him Lord. He's saying, look, I have all these things that I can share with you. Right. He's wanting to attract Esau, essentially convince Esau not to kill him on sight. Okay. So. So he's, and so he's sending servants ahead. He's, and you're going to see how he's going to do that even more. But um, he's, he's, he's very much like has this posture of humility. Okay. E Esau was called seer. Okay. When it, when it said here in this uh, in verse, what? In verse three, um, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of seer, the country of Edom. Okay. Esau itself himself was called seer. Seer means hairy, because remember Esau was hairy and he was reddish. Okay, those are the two physical characteristics about him. So the region where he dwelt was kind of named after him, right? So um, Esau or uh, Seir means hairy and Edom means red. So the people that are going to come from Esau will be called the Edomites. They will actually become the enemies of Israel later. Um, 
but but they are named after him. The Edomites is really the Redites <laughs> because they are named after uh, Esau, who is like their ancestor. And this region where he dwelt is called Seir. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. It's great. You know, like, who are they? what is he going to do with these 400 men? You know, you can imagine in the mind of Jacob, he's trembling now. These 400 men are coming. What is their intention, these 400 men? Right? He is a much bigger group, and especially 400 men, like an army of men coming to him. Like, what is, and he has children, and he has wives, and he has like all of this, you know, and all of his possessions, you know, with him. He's very, very vulnerable. He's just traveling, okay? So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So what is he going to do? He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. Why is he doing that? Good. He's cutting his losses, right? If, if, if he captures one company, at least I'll have the other one. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. This is a very significant prayer that Jacob prays. You know, so far we've been hearing about God telling Jacob something. God tells to Jacob, go here. God says to Jacob, say this. Okay? God confirms the covenant with Jacob. But here, you see that Jacob is now, like, developed a relationship with God. And that Jacob trusts God. Right? You, at the beginning, it wasn't so much a relationship of trust. You know, Jacob was running. He was afraid. He was running from Esau. His mom actually is the one who suggested that he go to Haran. He was running for his life there. He endured all kinds of hardships when he was there. But now, it's like his relationship with God has matured. Okay? And so Jacob now feels like very vulnerable and very afraid. And he feels like all that I can do is trust in God. Because what... He, he, he identifies as who he is, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, right? You are the God that sustained my fathers, who is now sustaining me, okay? And you're the one who told me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you, okay? So if you're the one telling me to come here, then you take care of the situation, right? This is a very powerful prayer when we pray with the promises that God has made. And if we remember the promises that God has made, that those promises apply to us. And when we pray to God and say, God, you are the one who said, um, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I, I have overcome the world. Right? You're the one who said, be anxious for nothing, but with everything in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Right? You're the one. Like, take the verses that God has promised us something and say, you said this. So apply it. So make it so. Like, make it happen in my life just as you said it would be. And this is what Jacob is saying. He's saying, you're the one who told me to come here, so you fix this. You make it right. If God tells us to do something, if God tells us some promise, then we hold God accountable for the promise that he made to us because he is trustworthy, right? We have to remind ourselves 
right? Not to look at the distressful situation, not to look at the stressful circumstances, not to look at the fearful situation that we're in, and to look past all of this and say, God, you made these promises. I trust you more than I trust what is going to happen in the world. I, 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 I don't trust the world, but I trust, I trust you. Also, we see here the very first time where Jacob is beginning to express humility. All throughout the story of Jacob, he's been like the deceiver. He's been the one that is concocting schemes and plans. He's been the one that's always been, you know, trying to like be clever. Okay? And now he's in a situation where there is nothing clever he can do. Like he is just these 400 men. Esau is coming. They have every right to destroy him for what is it that he has done. And now he has a lot more to lose than he had at the beginning. You know, be the beginning was just him. All right? And it was easy for him to run, for to flee, to, to, to do something. Now he's got wives. He's got 12 children. He's got the 11 boys and Dina, the girl that's mentioned in the Bible. He's got all these possessions. He's much more vulnerable. He can't just run away. Right? They are coming now, and he has to face this situation. So when he's praying to God, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. I am not worthy of everything you have given me. I am not worthy of your protection. I am not worthy of your mercy. It's like even in his own mind, he recognizes that he is a sinner. He recognizes that what he did was wrong. He recognizes that he's the one who deceived his brother and that his brother has every right. And sometimes we also, when facing the consequences of our poor choices, are kind of in this place where we're asking God to kind of to forgive us to to ease the consequence of our choices, not because we deserve it, right? But because God is merciful, right? Because, because of his mercies. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth, right? It's the truth. God, you're the one who's revealing to me all this. You're the one that chose me to, to carry out this covenant. What is it that I have done? Like, why, is, why would I deserve this? Which you have shown your servant. For I cross over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Like when I walked... When I went to Haran, it was just me. And now when I'm coming back, I'm this large group. I'm two companies. I have all these positions. I have wives. I have children and so on. So he's like identifying that God was the source of all the good things that have happened to him. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. It's such a straightforward prayer that sometimes we just, this is, this is the way that we just need to pray to God. Just tell him what we're feeling. Like, I'm afraid, I'm sad, I'm dejected, I'm worried, I'm angry, uh, whatever. Just tell God how is it that we feel. And so we can bring God into the problem. Like we can bring God into our lives. It's not just some prayer that we pray out of obligation. It is a prayer that we pray from our heart. And this is what Jacob is certainly doing here. I have done this to myself. Deliver me from this. I am afraid. What is it that I can do now? Lest he come and attack me and the mother with, with the children. Look at his concern, right? He's, con he's worried about his family. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Right? He's, he's again reminding God of his promises, okay? Of the covenant, right? That he has done. And he's thanking God for all the things he has done. And he's expressing his, his fear and his desire for God to intervene. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 
So this is, he's now going to send a gift, like ahead of time. He's sending his servants ahead of time before Esau gets to him, and he's going to start giving him gifts. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and he said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. So what is he doing? He didn't send it all at once. He made like small little groups. And he said, go like in a, in a sequence, okay? So, so you have Jacob he, over here, Esau is on the other side, and you have these servants of Jacob that are going one at a time with some of his possessions a little by little, little by little, all the way to Esau. Why do you think he's doing that? So, yes, one is to test the waters. What is he going to do? Is he going to destroy the first group that comes? Is he going to attack them? Okay. Why else? Maybe. Maybe, maybe like after the first few, he's going to feel like, okay, that's enough. Just come back. <laughs> maybe. Okay, yes, I mean, they're definitely, he needs a lot of distance to be careful in case he needs to run away. Why else? To soften his heart, right? It's like, imagine, you know, when you're really angry at somebody, and then, you know, they come to you and they make some kind of initial, like, apology or something like that, and you're still kind of angry, and you just don't want to accept it, <laughs> you know? And then they make a second attempt, or they, they, they try to apologize in a different way or maybe they send you a gift or maybe they do something else like and it's one thing after the other after the other after the other so it's like every group that comes it's like softening Esau's heart more even if after the first thing the first one he's not you know he hasn't forgiven Jacob then maybe when he sees the second one he starts to think like okay like he's really he's really feeling upset he's really feeling authentically sorry for what he's done because he keeps sending one after the other after the other right so <clears throat> he's softening his heart. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. He keeps calling him Lord Esau. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So he's telling his servants to tell Esau exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I am sending you all of these gifts to appease you, to apologize for what is it that I've done, so that afterward when you see me, maybe you will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Okay, so it's like everybody now has left. Everybody has gone forward in this like procession, and he himself was left alone. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him, until the breaking of day, okay? We don't have a lot of time to really get into this because this is like a big thing. Um, who is this man who's wrestling with him and the significance of it? So maybe we should stop here. It's 8.30 now, and we can continue this part next week, God willing.
Okay. Does anyone have any comments or questions? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you, O God, for your goodness. We thank you, O God, because you've allowed us to return to your church. Help, O Lord, encourage all those, O Lord, who are far away to come and to come closer. Teach us, O Lord, how to pray as Jacob did about our daily problems and situations and difficulties and fears. Teach us, O Lord, to see you as a source of mercy and that you do good for us, not because we deserve good, but because you are good. We thank you for your kindness and your patience. Grant us your peace and grant us, O Lord, a desire for holiness, a desire to be pleasing to you, a desire to put away sin and to come to you in a spirit of humility. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.